0: Acts 3 is where you want to be. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognised him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, "'Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? "'Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness,' We had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways.
1: Hey, everyone. It's three more Sundays. Uh, in In three more Sundays time, we're going to be getting together 2nd of August, I can't wait. Uh, Although things are still a little uncertain, aren't they? Uh, Things in Victoria still seem a little bit out of control. We've had a few new cases of COVID this week in New South Wales. I get the feeling that's actually what COVID is gonna be a little bit like. Well, I think we've always assumed that COVID was gonna be like the tide. It would kind of wash in and create havoc and, and then it would wash out again and be gone. But it doesn't seem as if that's the case. It seems as if COVID is more like our email inbox. Uh, You know, (laughs) your your email inbox can get completely out of control and then you fight and fight and fight and you get it all the way down to zero and just when you think you've got to beat, another three emails come in and then another three and you've got to fight your way back down and it seems COVID is a lot more like that than the tide. Uh, I remind you, some of you at the moment are thinking, I I don't relate to that at all. My inbox has never actually reached zero, in which case I can't help you. You have bigger problems than I can fix. But uh, a few years ago, my mother told me that I was never actually meant to be called Greg at all. Uh, They they only changed my name to Greg right at the very last minute. I was all the way through to pregnancy, my name was going to be Sean. S-E-A-N, Sean, like Sean Connery. And I've always wondered if my life would have been different as a Sean. Because let's face it, when you think about it, Sean... Is a much cooler name than Greg, isn't it? I mean, think about there's Sean Connery, there's Sean Puff Daddy Coombs, and even Sean the Sheep is cooler than Greg when you think about it. And so would my life have actually been cooler as Sean? Would Sean Lee have ended up becoming a great Hollywood movie star or something? Would Sean Lee have conquered the world of business or politics? Would I be more successful as Sean? Because when you think about it, names do have an effect, don't they? Names can change your life. After all, ask Reginald Dwight why he changed his name to Elton John. Ask Michael Caine why he didn't try and become famous with the name Morris Micklewhite. Would Marilyn Monroe have ever been successful as Norma Jean Baker? One of my favourites, Joaquin Phoenix, who won the Academy Award last year, his real name is actually... Joaquin Bottom. Now, who would ever vote for Joaquin Bottom for the Academy Award? Natalie Portman. Would she have been nearly as successful as Natalie Herschlag? Names can be powerful things. And in today's passage, Jesus' name is actually the thing. This passage is all about Jesus' names. Eight times in these two chapters, People talk about the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's completely healed him. By by what power or name did you do this? Eight times in these two chapters, people talk about the name of Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus' name is a powerful thing, because Jesus' name represents Jesus, and Jesus is powerful. We're going to see three things. We're going to see that Jesus is the name that's glorified. We're going to see that Jesus is the name that brings blessing. And we're also going to see that Jesus is the name that rules. But our story starts with something that we're all familiar with. It starts with a cripple being healed. Peter and John walk into the temple one afternoon at the time of the evening sacrifice, and they come across a beggar. And if you went to Sunday school, you know what happens next, don't you? Because you have sung this song. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk and he went walking and leaping and praising God and walking and leaping and praising God and walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ. I think that song would actually go better if I had a live audience. But it's a great miracle. And the thing is, just like we saw last week, it's a miracle that needs explaining. Because look how everyone responds in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. You see, this miracle is astonishing. It's a miracle. But what does it mean? That's what we want to know. What does it mean? And that's what Peter tells them from verse 12 onwards. Have a look in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You hand him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know is made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's completely healed him as you, as you can all see. So Peter says, this miracle is not my doing. It's not my power or my godliness that's achieved this. It's Jesus' name. It's the power of Jesus' name that's done it, which makes Jesus' name incredibly powerful, doesn't it? You can heal people in Jesus' name. You couldn't heal acne in my name, even if it was Sean, but Jesus' name has incredible power. Jesus' name heals a cripple. In fact, God is glorifying Jesus' name. See verse 13: The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And you know that little word, servant actually gives us a hint about exactly what's going on here. Because you see, God's servant was a really key person in the Old Testament. Just take a look at God's servant back in Isaiah chapter 52. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, that is one of the great Old Testament passages. It's about this servant of God, who is despised and rejected, and not just by people, but even by his own God. He's punished by God, he's stricken by God, he's afflicted, he's he's smitten by God. It's actually the Lord's will to make him suffer, but not because of anything he has done wrong. Now in verse six, Isaiah says, we are the ones like sheep who've gone astray, We're the ones who've turned our own way, but God laid on him our iniquity. This servant dies for other people's sins. Verse 10, his life is a sin offering. It pays for other people's sins. He's dying the death that other people deserve. And yet because of his sacrifice, look what God does for him. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors for he bore the sin of many and was made and made intercession for the transgressors." God's servant is ultimately glorified. He's given a portion among the great. He lives and he's satisfied because of his sacrifice, because he poured out his life for others. And Peter says to the crowd, this is what you're seeing here. God is glorifying his servant, who is Jesus. Jesus was crushed and afflicted. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. In fact, you lot are the ones who did it. You are the ones who disowned the holy and righteous one. You are the ones who asked that a murderer be released to you. You are the ones who killed the author of life, says Peter. But God has raised him from the dead. Just like he promised, God is now in the business of glorifying his servant. You see, it's crucial if you're a Christian that you understand the time in history that we live in. You've got to understand the era of history that we're part of. We live after Jesus' resurrection. We live A.D., Anno Domino, in the year of the Lord. We live at the time when God is glorifying his servant Jesus. And that's God's plan for history now. In fact, that's what the whole book of Acts is about, isn't it? Jesus has been raised. He's conquering the world with the Holy Spirit and with the gospel. Now is the time in history of Jesus' exaltation. Now is the time in history of Jesus' preaching. Now is when people flock to Jesus, 3,000 of them on the day of Pentecost. Another 2,000 people after this healing in chapter 3. Because God is determined to glorify Jesus' name. And look, this is a passage that really shapes the passions of our church, doesn't it? As a church, we talk about having three passions. We don't have a vision statement as such, but we do have three pictures, three passions as a church. We're passionate about being a particular kind of people. And we're going to look at that next week. A particular kind of people who are like Jesus and love Jesus and serve Jesus. We're passionate about Newey and Lake Mack, the part of the world that we live in. But before both of these things, we're passionate for Jesus' name and his glory. We're passionate for God. We want Jesus' name to be honoured and glorified and loved and spread and adored. That's why we have this prayer, that God will give to Jesus 30,000 people in our region just for a start. We're asking God to give Jesus thousands, 30,000 of them just for a start. But that's the thing. We're not asking God to give them to us are we we're asking god to give them to jesus because it's jesus name that god's glorifying not ours and if they happen to come to if any of them happen to come to our church well that's all well and good because we're just jesus servants and we'd love to be used but if god sends them somewhere else well that's just as well as long as god glorifies jesus name and the thing is we pray that prayer confidently We pray that prayer in the full expectation that God will actually answer it. Do you believe that? If you've been praying it, do you kind of pray it thinking, well, you know, maybe God would in some outlandish kind of way at some point, probably won't, but you know, maybe God would somehow give Jesus 30,000. No, we pray that prayer confidently because now is the time of the servant's exaltation. Jesus' suffering is over. His glory's come. So pray that prayer confidently. Pray that Jesus will be glorified to the tune of 30,000 people. Just think, who is, who is it that's going, to be, that's going to be glorifying Jesus' name next? It's an exciting thought, isn't it? Who at the moment doesn't even know Jesus' name in New and Lake Mac? But in the next 18 months, two years, they are going to be glorifying his name. That's the first thing, first thing about Jesus' name in this passage. It's the name God glorifies. But the second thing about jesus name in this passage is it's the name that brings blessing so just have a look where peter goes next in acts 3 verse 17 following now fellow israelites i know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders but this is how god fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who doesn't listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your forefathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, there's an awful lot in there, but really, verse 26 is the key. God has raised Jesus up to bless, to bless us. You see, right the way through the Bible, God has promised a time of blessing You see it even in Genesis 1, when God blesses his creation, but you really see it starting to ramp up as far back as Abraham. Right back at Abraham, God promised to bless all of the nations through Abraham. And in fact, all the way through the Old Testament, God then promised this time of blessing, the time when his anger would end and his judgment would end, when pain would end. And you get all these wonderful images of prisoners being released of the mute being able to speak, of the cripples being able to walk, when the curse of Genesis 3 would be turned into blessing. And Peter says, that's what this miracle is about. This is more than just one man being able to walk. It's more than just a healing. No, this is the blessing that comes through Jesus' name. Verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is more than just one guy being healed. Peter says it's much bigger than that. This is the blessings of Jesus being poured out, forgiveness of sin, the time when everything will be restored. It's a little taste of heaven itself. The time of blessing has begun. Now is the time of forgiveness. Now is the time of salvation because Jesus has taken God's anger. God's wrath has been poured on Jesus, which means that now God can pour out his blessings. This this cripple being healed is a taste of the blessing of heaven. He's a taste of the blessing of forgiveness. And you know, this is actually something that I think as Christians, we kind of take for granted, don't we? We take for granted the idea that God wants to save people. We take for granted the idea that God wants people to become Christians and that God wants people to turn back and God wants to forgive people. But that wasn't always the case. God promised that it would be the case. But when you think about it, God sent Isaiah to turn Israel's hearts away from God. But Peter says, now is the time of blessing. Now is the time when God forgives. Now is when the Holy Spirit has been poured out and the message of salvation is being preached to all of the nations. Now is the great banquet where God is saying, come in, come and feast on forgiveness. Come and feast on my blessing. And so our prayer for for 30,000 people to be saved, pray it with confidence. Pray it knowing that God loves to save people, God loves to bless, God loves to pour out forgiveness and salvation. Pray confidently. See, Jesus is the name that God's glorifying. Jesus is the name that brings blessing. But the third thing this passage teaches us is that Jesus is also the name that rules. You see, as we turn to chapter four, we begin to see the first opposition to Jesus' name. So have a look in Acts chapter four, verse one. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And so the, number of, be- the people who- number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, remember Acts chapter 1 there, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and, are asked being, and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved." When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them no longer to speak to anyone in this name and then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So here is the beginning of the opposition to Jesus' name, isn't it? In verse 5, all the leaders, all the great men of Israel gather together and they ask them, by what name, by what power have you done this? And when Peter tells them, look what the authorities say in verse 17, to stop this thing from spreading any longer among the people, we must mourn them to speak no longer in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, this is the leaders of Israel opposing Jesus' name. And really, it's just the start. From here on in, the leaders of Israel, the Jews, are going to pour hatred and scorn and persecution on the name of Jesus all the way through the book of Acts. But the third big thing we see in these two chapters is that Jesus is the name that rules Look how the apostles respond in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. See, the apostles come back and they pray to God about this newly rising tide of opposition. And when you think about it, these these people, these opposers are a big threat. It's all of the greatest, strongest men of Israel, the people who actually put Jesus to death in the first place. But they pray to God and they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, Rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. All of that comes, it's the very beginning of Psalm 2. And the apostles say, well, this is what's happened here. Herod and Pontius Pilate and and the leaders of the Gentiles, they've all banded together against you, God, and against your anointed king, Jesus. And it's interesting that Peter doesn't quote the next part of Acts 2. He doesn't go on and explain the re- uh, of Psalm 2. He doesn't go on and explain the rest of Psalm 2 because actually he doesn't have to. Everyone knew what Psalm 2 was about. Psalm 2 was the most famous, the most read Psalm of all. And the next part of Psalm 2 says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. In Psalm 2, God laughs at the nation's rebellion. God scoffs at human opposition. How can humans stop God? (laughs) They can't. God says, I have installed my king on Zion, the great mountain of Jerusalem, my holy hill. In other words, I have installed my king to rule. And of course we know where Jesus is, don't we? Jesus is ruling in heaven at that very moment. You see, Peter and the disciples, they're not even remotely threatened by these puny human leaders. They're not even remotely scared because they know that Jesus rules. So look what they pray in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We're not scared, Father, because we know who you are. Help us to preach all the more. Make us bolder and louder and do even more miracles in Jesus' name, Father. Because nothing can stop Jesus' rule. Nothing can stand against the rule of Jesus' name. And so they say, extend the rule of Jesus' name, Father. And God says, you bet I will. Look in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God more boldly. God says, you preach on. That is the building shakes and the spirit comes on them and they go out and they preach all the more. Because God is determined that Jesus is the name that will rule. God is determined that Jesus is the name that will go out and that will conquer. Jesus is the name that God glorifies. Jesus is the name that brings blessing. And Jesus is the name that rules. And so do you see how Acts chapters 3 and 4 completely shape our church, our passions? We are passionate about Jesus' name. We're not getting back together in three weeks' time for us. I mean, as nice as it's going to be for us. We're getting back together for Jesus' name. We're gathering for Jesus' name. We're gathering on Jesus' mission. And as a church, we want to have this laser beam-like focus that everything we do has to bring glory to the name of Jesus. That's how we decide what's important as a church. Does it bring glory to the name of Jesus? Why do we gather together as church? In order to proclaim Jesus, in order to sing about Jesus, and pray to Jesus, and talk about Jesus. Why do we have growth groups? So that every week we can get together and teach each other Jesus' words and encourage each other to listen to Jesus' words and to live, to glorify Jesus. Why do we have rush? So that we can teach the next generation of children that Jesus is what their life is all about that Jesus is the one they're there to live for. In our church, it's Jesus before everything else. Jesus is the name that's glorified. Jesus is the name that rules. And you know what? We are convinced that this is actually the best and the happiest way to live. Because remember, Jesus is also the name that brings blessing. The more we focus on Jesus' rule, the more we focus on Jesus' glory, the more blessed and happy, and fulfilled, our lives will be here. Do you trust that that's true? Do you really believe that if you make your life all about Jesus' glory and Jesus' power and rule and preaching, your life will be better? Not necessarily easier, because the apostles are about to suffer, remember, but your life will be more blessed. Do you really believe that? Let's pray that we will. Our great God, we praise you for the absolute clarity of Acts 3 and 4, that it's all about Jesus' name, his name glorified, his name ruling, and his name blessing. We thank you that we live in the time when Jesus' rule is spreading across the world, being raised from the dead, his spirit being poured out, the gospel is going to the ends of the world before Jesus returns. And so, Father, we pray for 30,000 people in Nui and Lake Mac to come to Jesus, to be given to Jesus, not to us. And we'd love to be used by you to this end, but if you choose not to, just as long as you glorify Jesus. And we thank you that we live in the time of blessing, that you long to forgive, that you love to forgive, that you love for people to come to you, and that the more we live for Jesus' glory, the more blessed we are. We pray that we'll trust that. We pray that we'll trust you there, and that we'll live in the blessing of forgiveness in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.